I want to be responsible for myself. So I think as you get lighter and lighter with your gear, I sometimes kind of get concerned that I'm disrespecting my disrespecting the trail. You know what I mean? Like where I'm like, oh well, if I if if I get into trouble, I'll just get help or I'll walk out or I'll scratch. But I'm like, well, no, that's not the spirit of what this is. I want to make sure I bring everything I need so that like I can finish. And um, so I'm definitely careful about going too light and and trying to like you know just drop all this stuff and and go for broke and if I don't make it so be it because that's not my intention yeah it's a selfish endeavor and it's time away and um but like being selfish you know sometimes it's a negative word but it's not it's important yeah like I think it's a really healthy thing for people to do and this just happens to be like my one of my outlets that's RJ Sawyer, and this is the Bike Pack Canada podcast. Hello, Bike Pack Canada. Oh, Caligart. There you go. Just saying hi from south of Kamloops. Slugging away on a bit of a climb here. Trying to steal a ride before the snow arrives. Probably 13, 14 degrees out. Some fall leaves blowing in the air. Looking at some pines and birches and pretty magical to be honest. But also helps that I'm listening to the the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Dunlop, that I was introduced to at the summit a few weeks back. Guys, a wealth of knowledge. The podcast is teaching me more than a few things. Got to invest in one of those space blankets. Well, signing off from the interior. Thanks, Steve, and Bikepack Canada World. Says rock. Hello again, friends. Welcome back to the Bikepack Canada podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Ben Johnson, I want to thank you for that voice intro. It's fantastic to hear from you again. Those of you who attended the 2019 Bike Pack Canada Summit had the pleasure of listening to Ben speak. He uh, talked about his short film, Admissions of an Amateur Bike Packer, where he immersed himself in the Andes on a loaded bike and basically taught himself how to bike pack. Uh, experienced backpacker, but had never really bike packed before. And um, he just wanted to get out there and give it a go. Uh, it's a fantastic film. I'd encourage you to head on over to johnsonstudios.co and uh, you can find all his content there, uh, including uh, photos and uh, his, his images and videos. And you can also find him on Instagram at Outside and Seek is his tag. Head on over and give him some love. If you'd like to send me a voice intro, pull out your phone, go to your voice memo application, record me something, and you can email it to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. Do that and I'll feature it on the show. You can also email me just to say hello, tell me what you're up to can also send guest suggestions and feedback to that same address. 
bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you soon. So on today's episode, I bring you R.J. Sawyer. R.J. Sawyer is a writer, director, producer for commercial and film. His passion is creative exploration through storytelling, whether on camera or outdoor adventure in his backyard and abroad. He founded the boutique production company Bruder 15 years ago and since then has conceptualized and produced a wide variety of commercial and dramatic content for regional, national, and international companies and agencies. He has worked and traveled extensively in rugged and remote locations around the world with an affinity for the mystical qualities of North America, including multiple film trips to the Arctic in both summer and winter. This passion for new and isolated places extends to his personal exploration. In 2014, he completed the ITI, a 1,000-mile adventure race along the historical Iditarod Trail in 16 days on a fat bike in the dead of winter. RJ plans to return this winter to challenge the course again. In the summer of 2016, he rafted the Tachachini River over 12 days from the Yukon to Alaska, bikepacked across Iceland for a month, and competed in the Highland 550, a grueling self-supported bikepacking race through 550 miles of rugged Scottish terrain to finish in just under six days. RJ is currently developing several feature film projects alongside his outdoor adventures and commercial direction. I'm sure some of you recognize R.J. Sawyer's name as the winner of the AR-700 this past summer. He uh, finished that in just 58 hours. Pretty incredible. Um, you can head on over to rjsawyer.com to check out any of his content there. He's got uh, commercials and some short films, as well as links to his written content. And any of you who have read what he's written will know just how talented a writer he is. He has the ability of immersing you in his environment when he's with his writing and uh, it's pretty incredible and I really appreciate his writing style so um yeah sit back put some earbuds in maybe go for a ride and enjoy the conversation and now I bring you RJ Sawyer from an early age I traveled a lot and I always gravitated to travel I had a sibling who traveled and that inspired me as well and um and then I think that combined with at a young age, always loving to do creative endeavors. Um, you know, the two combined to kind of lead me to where I am today and kind of, you know, I just touched on some of that. It's, I feel like I have a lot of, because I've had a lot maybe of different experiences, it's created a lot of different interests for me. Um, and that's one of the great things to be honest about bikepacking is like, basically I, I, I my, my approach has almost been like, Hey, where's somewhere I want to go and somewhere I want to explore and what better and more intimate way to do that than on a bike. And, you know, sure. During a race, you blow by a lot of that. Some of it you do in the night, but even that creates a unique experience that you would never have in that place. Um, you know, and I think there's no better example of that than the, you know, the Iditarod trail invitational, no, totally you want know, to talk about that. Yeah. It's like, it's a pretty romantic, special place when it comes to this kind of endeavor. And I think it's what lures people back over and over and over and over again. Like you, through the years, you would see a lot of familiar faces kind of returning to suffer once more. But I think the reward of the trail is so high that it just continues to bring people um, back over and over again. Because I don't think, I don't think you can have the same experience twice, you know, whether it's, the weather which you know is literally has an impact every year and it's hilarious because 
since I've done it, done, sorry, since I've done it now twice, I've become friends with a lot of people who continue to do it on Facebook, social media. And the classic is, it's like usually right about now, the conversation about the weather starts like so far in advance. It's almost a joke now. It's like someone will pipe up on Facebook saying like, so, you know, uh, how are the rivers, you know, how the river's doing? And uh, it, but it's, it's such a integral part of that. And I think with, you know, even just it's so topical now too, like New York times actually took a bunch of my imagery to use because awesome. they did an article. Yeah. An article on climate change and, because I think the first year I did it, it was a super dry year. And there were so many sections that were like dirt. Really? And then, oh, yeah. Like, and it was like literally our, our chainstays were cogged up. Like we're all like stuck up with mud and, and it was totally unexpected. I mean, that was a small section of the trail. There yeah, were of course. certainly then, yeah, trail sections that were not like that. But, um, but then going back through that exact same section three years later when I did it a second time, and it was, it couldn't have been more snow and it was like freezing cold and just completely different. So for me, it, it looked like I looked at the, the photos I took from both experiences and they looked completely different. So the process to actually being able to race that, did you take the, um, isn't there, is it invite obviously? Like were you invited yeah. or did you take, apparently you can take like a training program that lead you and, and allows you to do the 350 or something like that? Yeah. And I think that's something that started to happen a little bit more. It was kind of, it, it existed when I did the race in 2014. Um, the advantage, I, I had a unique scenario because I had made a film about the race in right. 2000. And so, which was a long, long, long time ago, but it, it kind of, for the longest time, I always knew I would go back and, or wanted to go back and do the trail from a um, human powered and, um, experienced the race and it just so happened that some the guys who were in that film were going back again and they said hey man like why don't you go and there's a guy living in your city who trains endurance athletes because that was my first ever endeavor of that kind wow jumping in with both feet yeah huh? it was kind of yeah it was kind of crazy and I don't and so I don't think I I, I have the utmost respect for the trail and for the race and oh, yeah. for the reasons why they have those sort of like qualifiers. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think I would have done it if it, it hadn't been for the fact that I was surrounded by a, a group of um, veterans that I could train with and learn from. Mm. And I think because I had experienced the trail firsthand trying to make my movie, which to be honest was almost in a different way as hard as what I did on the bike. Probably have way more um, gear. Yeah, just and it's just a different kind of hard. But I think the race organizers were still um, the same people that were involved. And so they knew what I had gone through because we kept in touch over the years because they would always like, you know, for fun, play that, play the movie before when people would show up to bed and breakfast and they would all sit around and watch the movie because it really was the only kind of, you know, thing that had been created around that. And so, um, yeah, so we, you know, it, I had a relationship still with Bill Merchant. And so he said, you know, he, he kind of for, he allowed me to essentially do the race without any kind of qualifier. Um, yeah. And it was like, it was, it was definitely a, a massive change and kind of spurred on all of what I'm doing now. You know, it was still something I was doing in different ways, but not at this level. And, and so, you know, yeah, I guess it was kind of a life changer in a way. Um, certainly it was like one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had. And, and now, 
it's like I'm definitely feel like I'm a, a addicted for lack of a better word. <laughs> I, I find this. I agree. They're, they are somewhat addictive. It's uh, for how, for how hard they are. And the first one, you know, I scratched my first one, but, and I said, I would never come do another. It was like, ah, eh. but, but after sitting with it for a couple of days, it just drew me back. And now it's, I can't wait. I can't wait for summer to come around. It was like, Oh, what am mm-hmm. I going to do? Where am I going to go? Like, yeah. You know, what's going to happen? There's like so many stories in these, in these races and they are, and they that's are, it. Yeah. And they are some of the, the most vivid memories you have when you're out there and you're stripped of ego and you're vulnerable and you're, it's in the middle yeah. of the night and there's eyes in the woods and you just, it's, it's a, it gives you these different coping mechanisms, right? That you don't yeah. have in everyday life when you're walking down the sidewalk. Well, we're, we're weirdly, attra- you know, I think we're weirdly attracted to those, those kinds of things, right? Like because we can't find them in our everyday life, we, I think we seek out or some people seek out these kinds of experiences and yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because in that time you learn a lot, you do learn a lot about yourself. And I think, I think the thing sometimes that's not seen or is underestimated is actually the whole training process as well, because obviously it's a very isolated, lonely time, you know, you spend a lot of time with yourself and you, you, you know, you determine a lot and, you know, kind of figuring that out is, is sort of a part of the experience as well. So yeah, there's so many components to learn, right? It's not just the physical side. It's like how to how to live with yourself, how to find your way, yeah. how, do, how do you cope with anger and loneliness and all these emotions that bubble up when you're in the middle of nowhere and just all these weird things that you don't, yeah, you don't have to cope with. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So um, when you decided, uh, so obviously you've had some experience on that trail anyway, so you're invited back. And then what, what did your training look like for something like that? Um, well, like I mentioned, I was really lucky that I had the, um, the benefit of, um, training with Frank, Frank Jens was his name. And he was, uh, like basically that was his work, his lifetime work was training endurance athletes. So I basically piggybacked on his routine, which was essentially, and what I've loved is that a lot of his training was based more on time versus, Mm. getting caught up in the minutia of some of the specifics like distance or speed, because those things are, are, aren't necessarily as relevant when it comes to an event like this. Um, so that was something I appreciated and I still use quite a bit of today. It's just learning what's important and how to, you know, use your time and be realistic and be patient and yeah. build, you know, like that it just doesn't, you don't change overnight. But I think that whole experience, you know, which I think it was probably a 10 month build because it was like, it was almost like I joked saying the first four or five months was I was training to train. So it was sort of like I was getting in shape to do the real training, right. you know, that would come. Um, and mainly because to be fair, like I, I had like ridden bikes and I'd done a few little like weekend warrior races and stuff. And like, I was a very active person, but you know, I grew up playing hockey and baseball and tennis, not endurance sports. So it was a, it was a new thing for me for sure. And there was not only the learning curve of training my body, you know, especially like, it wasn't like I was a 20 year old. I wasn't old, you know, I was in my late thirties, but like, you know, it was a shift for sure. And I felt my body completely changed through that process. Um, but 
it was also learning more about bikes, learning more like, you know, about how to be self-sufficient, learning more about gear, learning about sleeping in cold conditions and just different things like, you know, stuff that, that again, I had some experience with because through my filmmaking, I was always interested in that. And I, so I tended to gravitate towards projects that put me in remote environments. So I, I think I was set up well for this. And, and I, I, I think looking back now, I can appreciate that at the time I was definitely, I think fear was a good motivator. I oh, didn't yeah. want to, you know, I didn't want to like, I wanted, again, it came back to respect. I really respected the trail and I wanted to ensure that in whatever happened that I finished. And so I was certainly tried to be smart and conservative. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it all certainly paid off. Yeah. Patience must go a long way on a trail like that because you, you do, I mean, how much do you actually ride on that trail? Well, that's, what's funny is that the, the one thing that I, that Frank taught a lot was, is again, the kind of preparations that I think a lot of people don't do, which is we were, we spent a lot of time pushing our bikes for training, <laughs> dragging like, them around in the snow. Yeah. Like <laughs> we'd literally go find like an unrideable place and go and just push our bikes and slog our way through. And, I think first of all that that taught patience because it was like you know not all about you know riding your bikes and and and, and what have you so it it gave me a respect for like hey this could be a real long slow slog and also that there's parts of your body I mean when I went to make my film I the guy I was supposed to follow to finish this race and break all the records dropped out in the first day because he was suffering an injury because he was pushing his bike and he hadn't really? trained to push his bike. Right. He'd put, he, yeah. He trained to break the record. And the thing I think I learned from watching that firsthand was that because the guys who went on to win were the ones who just did whatever it took to get to the finish line. And it didn't need to be pretty. Yeah. And so, you know, that was a helpful, helpful experience for me to see that. I think again, it, it really, it reminded me that like, there's it, anything could happen and I had to be prepared for anything and that, you know, you just needed to focus on the moment again, easier said than done. I had like ups and downs for sure. And I was like angry at the trail and you're angry <laughs> at the moment, you know, you're angry at things cause you're just tired, but, um, but inevitably you just keep going and something you get rewarded with some amazing moment that just rejuvenates you. What was uh, kind of the biggest challenge of that? Um, I think the first time I did it, the, the, the thing I struggled with most was compartmentalizing time. Like the idea that like you would just be moving for 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 more, you know, hours on and on and on and on. And like, and because you're not moving quickly that all the time that it's not like the places were coming to you quickly and there weren't a lot of distractions to keep you, you know, occupied because it might be fairly repetitive or if you're traveling through the night you know the scenery isn't changing um so i think trying to psychologically deal with time and that that length of time was uh the hardest part for sure i think i, I showed up prepared physically and i think that didn't let me down so i don't think that was an issue um, and I feel like by the end I was actually feeling stronger and stronger. Mm. So that was, that was good. So it proved that I did the work and I'm grateful again to the people around me who helped me train. Um, 
but yeah, like the real learning curve was like just dealing with, and then also I think in the, in Alaska in the winter is just sort of like not making mistakes is, you know, taking yeah. your time to do things, um, which to be honest was even more prevalent the second time I did it because the conditions were really bad from a cold perspective. And a lot of people were dropping out because of just like 20 second mistakes, you know? Um, and I felt like I showed up at that race, uh, with more experience and, and it paid off for me, you know, because I was patient. I was more patient. Uh, I learned, I would, I was able to deal with the distances a lot better. Um, you know, you know how to sort of, you know, that you kind of learn that idea that if you just keep your head down, eventually your destination will arrive and yeah. coping with that. I mean, you can't just, you can't train that. You just kind of, you, you gain that sort of perspective, I think, just by doing more events, you know, you're just getting more experience. Yeah. And you gain a lot of experience just on one, one event. You, you can gain yeah. so much experience. The thing I think about uh, about riding in the winter is just moisture management that comes into my head and yeah. screams in my head, moisture management. Mo- Cause I sweat like a pig Yeah, and you have to really dial back. I would imagine, or, or you know, you're yeah. constantly stripping layers on and off and just yeah. trying to maintain temperature. Yeah. So that's like definitely a thing. And that comes back to like that idea of, you know, we all know that once you get on the trail and you're riding and you're trying to catch someone or you get caught up in the, the quote unquote race of it, mm it's like you sometimes put off something that needs to be done and that's where you get into big trouble. Like, and certainly to your point, you know, I made that mistake, uh, on my second time doing the race, I made that mistake for sure where I just, instead of stopping and taking a layer off, um, I just kept pushing Mm. and, and then it got really cold. It got damp. And then I was like, I had to just keep going because it was going to be hard for me to stop and dry. Um, and it was just a silly mistake. And so, um, yeah, even when you know the right answer, you continue to make, you know, it's easy to make those mistakes and get caught up in the moment. Um, especially because I think that what's tricky is that, and again, in the second year I did it, like we had consistent temperatures of like literally minus four or minus 40, sorry, degrees Celsius. So like, like the way I described it in my article was that it was, it was completely suffocating because you just Mm. couldn't. You couldn't take things off. You couldn't escape it. It was like this like pressure that would just kept pounding down at you. You can't hide from it. It's invisible and it just get under your skin, you know? So, um, so that was, that was tough. And again, that was where you just needed to stay really disciplined and like, and manage things well. And I think in my case, it, it worked out because I felt like I dealt with it quite well. And, and, uh, and, I, I certainly, I feel like I was able to enjoy the second time more. I was, I was able to like put that experience into action and it, it made, um, like I joked, there were times where I feel like I was actually riding the trail right, rather than just enduring the trail. Like, uh, right. you know, you know what I mean? Like yeah. rather than it, me being at the mercy of it, I was taking advantage of conditions and actually like pushing it at times. And, um, yeah, so that was rewarding for sure. Yeah. You're more confident, you're more competent. Right. And you can kind of, uh, you know, you can take whatever it throws at you, right. By just having all that experience in, in, in contrast, I kind of think that it must be an interesting flip. Does, does, does a bikepacking race like the AR 700 just seem so 
I'm, I'm using this word really loosely, but easier since you've done, you know, minus 40, you know, how many kilometers is that? 1300 kilometers or something in Alaska, like the 1700, 1700 kilometers. Yeah. Like it must be like a little bit of a walk in the park. It's different on dirt. (laughs) I think it's different because I think that like, for example, in Alaska, you're, you carry a lot more stuff and you move slower. And so there's ways to deal with those situations. Whereas like in something maybe with the Alberta Rockies, you're Mm. traveling lighter, you have less stuff. So you're kind of walking a different line You have to make because you want, so you can afford to take more sacrifices with your gear a little bit. Yeah. Minus 40. (laughs) Exactly. But then you're kind of like, it's almost like you're kind of on a different edge because you're moving more. Like I, I would say, you know, people sleep probably a bit more when you're doing, especially when you're doing the long version in Alaska, like there's the shorter races, quote unquote, shorter races. Yeah. Yeah, And those ones certainly like people are, a lot of people aren't stopping because they're, they don't need, they're not going for, you know, over 10 days, they're going for two days. And so your body can handle that. Um, So it's just, it's, it's just a different experience. Um, I think you just deal with different things and, yeah, like I think that's the cold is certainly what makes the the ITI extremely unique. Mm. Um, but you also realize that like you don't have to be that far from anywhere to, to to get into trouble, you know, as well. Like, and so you again, I think it's trying to take that same amount of respect to each thing you do. Like, I always, I think my biggest thing is a, I want to finish, mm. and b. I want to be responsible for myself. So I think as you get lighter and lighter with your gear, I sometimes kind of get concerned that I'm disrespecting my disrespecting the trail. You know what I mean? Like where I'm like, Oh, well if I, if, if I get into trouble, I'll just get help or walk out or I'll scratch. But I'm like, well, no, that's not the spirit of what this is. I want to make sure I bring everything I need so that like I can finish. And um, so I'm definitely careful about, going too light and and trying to like you know just drop all this stuff and and go for broke and if i don't make it so be it well that's not my intention right and anything can happen i mean really totally i mean the the base of what you need really isn't that much like decide to bring a shelter or not like yeah uh, when i did the lost elephant i brought a tarp and i was like i I thought about not bringing a shelter and i didn't need Mm -hmm. a shelter at all luckily but yeah, but it in that moment where you say you're injured and it starts to pour pour rain, you can at least poncho up in something, right? Just to protect yeah. you from the you know put your rain gear on and then tarp up. And so yeah, I, I kind of see and you know and the guys there was a guy um I, I'm gonna get his name wrong, but Alex Gear um, on the elephant, but he I don't he didn't bring much of anything, <clears throat> and yeah he he looked he looked rattled when he got to Invermere. He just looked like. He just came out of the, like, just feral. He just looked feral yeah. Yeah. when he came out. And I was like, man, I was just, yeah, bring a tent or a tarp. It's not that Yeah, exactly. It's not, it's, it's not. I get it, It's though. like, yeah, you sure you can, like, yeah. you, you're they're likely you're going to be able to get through those conditions fine, right? And some people, like, even more so because they, they, they are resilient. They'll push through, figure out a way. Yeah, but he's like, a tough guy. He looks, yeah. Things, yeah. I think you have to do what's best for yourself, but I think that like I, I would hope that the attitude for most people going into an event like this is that 
you need to be self-sufficient. You, you shouldn't be putting anyone else mm. like at risk. Yeah. You know, like when you get people asking you for things, you're kind of like, well, I, I, like, look, I'm not a selfish person. I want to help you. But like, now you're compromising my situation. Yeah. I, I kind of need that thing, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and it's like you kind of get, you're kind of, you wonder, well, like, hey, did you, did you think about that before? And sure, maybe you got the advantage of going faster because you're lighter. But like, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we still need to rem- remind ourselves that we're in like wild spaces, you know, in Alberta, you know, we live here in Vancouver. We live here and we, wa- we, we see people get into trouble all the time they, they go hike up a local mountain because yeah. you can see the city and then they roll their ankle or they just make a bad choice and then they're in the dark and then all of a sudden they don't come back and it's like i i think it's just yeah that part to me i think is really important and i think that is probably the the big benefit i gleaned from doing a race as complicated probably as iti mm the first time around because I, I think it scared the hell out of me to the point where now I'm like, I'm very cautious. And I was around like old school racers who I think were also very cautious and kind of um, ingrained that into me, you know, like made sure like, you know, you gotta, you gotta take care of yourself. So I think that point you made of not putting anyone else in danger, mm. that's, that's a very poignant statement because when, when you get hurt and there's no one else around, then you have to get search and rescue to come and get you. And you're putting all those people in danger Yeah, when you're not ready, when you're not, when you're not fully prepared. Exactly. You, you look at Everest is like probably the best example of that these days. It's crazy. Like people are going up there who shouldn't be there and they're putting so many other people like literally life and death at risk because, you know, someone's got to try and carry them out. That's not fair to anyone. So I have a a kind of a bummer feeling about Everest now. It just, Mm. it just seems like, um, almost, you don't want to strap control, like put gates and controls on, on people accessing these, these wonderful places, but it's just getting wrecked and then, and and just littered with, you know, not only just garbage and tanks, but then human bodies and yeah, yeah, it's just, uh, I don't, it doesn't really appeal to me. I, I can understand the challenge. Have you ever climbed mountains that high? No. no, is that no, a bucket list? It, it, no, no, like that's the thing is, yeah, like it doesn't, it doesn't interest me because to me there's like the reason why I'm, why I love bikepacking is to me, I'm exploring a place in a way that makes sense to me. Um, and I like the idea of, like, I love the fact like some of these, how these events are laid out where you're weaving through towns and you pop into a town and, and then you're out of it. And sometimes it's crazy because you're like, you're, you know, there's just the different weird sort of cultural experiences. Mm-hmm. Like the way you get to see and experience a place is, you know, is, is so great and so unique um, while challenging yourself. It's just, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a, a cool thing. And, and I, I mean, at the end of the day, ultimately I'm not a climber. So, you know, that's just not the place for me. And yeah, I don't see, the the joy in in that experience where does the um tour divide sit in your desire for experiences it's uh well it's funny because i'm at so this is my time to decide my next year like i sit down and i kind of pencil in um you know what my goals are for the year um and so basically i try to create anchor points through the year of like what are the events i'm looking at and I try to look at it from small, medium, and large. So I try to do at least one large event 
uh, a couple of medium events and then a bunch of little events that are like one dayers that if I miss them because of work or life that it's okay, but they're right. kind of, they're just fun to do and challenges just to keep me honest um, and test gear and just have fun and remind yourself why you're training. Um, and then medium ones are ones that are just like low impact to life. Like they could be a weekend, you know? So trying to do like a 200, 200 kilometer race somewhere or something that would take a day or two days and, you know, I could get in and out and it, um, it, again, it's, it's an experience. I get to meet new people. I get to experiment with gear and have a great time, but then ultimately it's leading to a longer event, which is my, like where definitely I'm the most interested. So Tour de Ride is on that list. Um, and as well as the, you know, you can't help but get kind of lured into the Silk Mountain Road Race as well. Oh, I know. Or Mountain Race, sorry. Yeah. Um, just because it's an area. And again, for me, I try to determine my choices by places I want to go. Like a lot of the races I've done have either, have mostly been just places I've wanted to explore. And so my list of places I want to explore, if there's an event, it'll certainly be something I'll look at. So, um, but Tour Divide, like we just, we touched on a couple of sections of it just in our family riding this right. summer. Um, as well as obviously with the Alberta Rockies. And it definitely seems like something I would love just because it, I've, you know, I've experienced a lot of those regions down all the way down through the United States, just through our own trips. And I love those little towns, you know, dip into a little town and then pop back out into the mountains again. And um, yeah, just, and it's, you know, it's, it's kind of feels like the tour de France of yeah. bike packing, if you yeah. can call it that, you know, yeah. it's like, but in a good way, cause it's still, you know, it offers all those things I think that are make bikepacking so much fun and challenging. Um, so it, it's absolutely on my list. Um, but then also they just uh, announced that the, the the Atlas Mountain one in mm -hmm. February, which is in Morocco. Yeah. So I think I'm going to sign up for that. Mm, um, cool. Yeah, great time of year, like mid February to. Mm. to to get out of Vancouver and yeah. go somewhere it's five months away. So it's kind of perfect length of time for training and building up to something. And, and it's a place like I've wanted to go. Um, so then as a writer and a photographer, you know, for me, I'm excited by the story I might find there. So yeah. Morocco's a cool place. I went to Morocco a handful of years ago. And awesome uh, to ride. I, no, not to ride, just to travel around. Great. And uh, <clears throat> people are wonderful. I mean, for the most yeah. part, just like any place, right? Like, you know, you get hassled a little bit, but they, um, I, all, I just kept looking around going, oh my God, the riding here would be awesome. Like, I wish I had my yeah. bike with me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I haven't said yet, congratulations on the AR. Oh, thank you. So yeah, tell me about the AR. I was going to do the AR this year and I had to skip on it. And I was super bummed because I was looking at the pictures and the, the terrain looked amazing. Yeah, it was a great route, and and I think I did the BC Epic the year last summer. Yeah. Um. So it kind of felt like a natural sort of progression, and I think with the fact that you know we just had a one year old, or like we'd had a, a kid for the first year, and Sarah being off for maternity leave, I was sort of like, okay, I'm going to try and you know the idea of something local, quote unquote, um, felt like a good a good option. Um. So yeah, and the timing again half a lot of it's just trying to find events that slot into the right time in your life too, schedule wise like yeah. you know it, it can take over you know like when you do the iti it's like not only it's the training but like 
the race, the time before, the time after, it's like it drops a bomb on your life. So totally. like recovery um, coming back, it's yeah, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. And not there's you know, there's very few of us in this world that can actually weave it into some sort of full-time career you know yeah. most of us are doing it obviously just out of sheer joy and um or just as a, a side project so that's awesome yeah so, so tell me about that you were riding up with uh, uh dion and leonard for a bit yeah so i mean that was great because i knew both of them um dion a little less but knew each other more just from the fact that he had come in, he, he'd come in just in front of me, um, at the BC Epic the year before. So I knew more knew of him. And obviously I knew Leonard cause he organized, um, the BC Epic. And so the three of us kind of got out ahead fairly early. And so it sort of looked like, okay, like, you know, we were, it was a bit of yo-yoing based on like, you know, there's always different terrain and depending on your bike setup, someone might excelled by five minutes on a stretch of single track and then you hit a piece of gravel and someone else excels or whatever right you just yeah. you go through your things and i think like the biggest thing i've taken away and i think in this particular event in in the alberta rockies this year i was like i knew what i wanted to do i knew how i could do it and i stuck to my my plan and i rode that you know the the cliche of i rode within myself right and um you know, knowing that I could push harder or whatever when needed, but like I stuck to my plan and, um, and then just kind of evaluated things as they went and managed things as they came up. Um, but yeah, I was like, I, I think halfway through, I was like feeling really good because I felt like I was on track. Um, you know, I was concerned a little bit that the bike packing we'd done before was going to yeah eat up some of the energy in the legs. Um, but, um, uh, you know, I felt like the the calm and I had because I had the opportunity to go do something with my family. Mm. I think that compensated for any kind of fatigue I might have had, which I think, if, again, another benefit of the ITI is I just feel like I'm used to doing long, longer slogs. And, and so, um, yeah, I, I feel like I was just in a good headspace because I was like, I'd had that time with them. And so I could go out and be selfish and have that time for myself. And I totally you know, relate to that being a yeah, fa- like it's family a very guy. Se- yeah. Yeah. It's a selfish endeavor yeah. and it's time away. And, um, but like being selfish, you know, sometimes it's a negative word, but it's not, it's, it's important. Not. Yeah. yeah. Like I think it's a really healthy thing for people to do. And this just happens to be like my, one of my outlets. And you, you know, can't, where, you can't be there for your family unless you're there for yourself. Right. Totally. Like got to fill up those buckets first before you can, yeah. Feed your family. Exactly. Yeah. But that's kind of why now I say like I pencil in events because I also, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm realistic that like my work is, is sometimes my work is actually quite conducive to this kind of lifestyle on many fronts. But then at the same time, like big projects can come up that I can't say no to um, or projects that I've invested a lot of time and energy and, and finances into could suddenly sort of come to life and and clash with a race. And so I have to sometimes make decisions about that. And I've, I've had to miss, I was supposed to do the, the New Zealand, you know, the whole New Zealand route, um, Atarea, the whole kind of Island brevet. Um, and I had to actually quit on that because of a, a big film project that I'm involved in. So yeah, that was tough. Cause I 
I trained really hard, like trained and I'd, I was all excited and mm. I was going to, you know, and we were going to do a family trip on the back end when we'd already bought all our flights and I oh, had to, no. yeah, it was a tough, tough, tough decision, You're but committed. Yeah. Yeah. But then having made that now, I know that that's, that I can do it, that it's okay. Like you can, you know, sometimes you just, you can't do everything. So, yeah. And I, I've gotten to the point where I like to, uh, have the discussion with my wife, like, <laughs> yeah, basically, you know, for the lack of a better word, you're kind of, is it okay? Like, are you cool if for I sure. bust off because I need five days to just do this race or for me, it's getting the time off work because time off work yeah. is just like, so the races are free, but they're not really free. No, there's a cost. There's a cost. <laughs> the cost is pretty high actually. It is. Yeah. It is for sure. And then, you know, and it's like, um, but you're right. Like, I don't think, I think we do it out of, because we want to ask because we, or respectful. You know, when you have, when you, yeah, when you have kids, like it was yeah. definitely easier when we didn't have uh, like a, a kid, or if someone doesn't have kids, it certainly makes those kind of things way easier, um, those choices easier. But now it's like, yeah, like we have X amount of time that we can spend together, and we. My goal now is to continue to do bigger and bigger bike packing trips as a family, um, which I'm incredibly excited about. In the same way, I'm excited by the races. If I can continue to balance the two, then awesome. You know, that's that's definitely the goal. Um, but yeah, like we have to sit down and say, okay, like what trips do we want to do as a family? And therefore, what trips or what races can I do as an individual? And where does that, that where do we draw that line, you know, where you can get a little carried away? Yeah. So, and uh, your wife's going back to work? Yes, yeah, so she's a I teacher. Read. Okay, yeah. right. Which is also very conducive to this kind of lifestyle, right. you know, yeah, like totally. we're able to travel in bigger chunks like at Christmas, March break, and then obviously throughout the summer. So, um, yeah, so we're kind of like, I'm trying to carve those out as times that we're going to plan a trip for us and for, you know, um, and for Oliver. And again, the hidden benefit of it is pulling that chariot, man. I get like the biggest workout of my life. So it's <laughs> yeah. like, it's not like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not getting fit from that experience. Not that that's the motivation to do it, oh. but it's certainly a side benefit that I can actually incorporate that. I mean, I, I was climbing up the local mountains here with the chariot on the back and people <laughs> were giving me, some people giving me some dirty looks. Cause I think they thought I was trying to be cute or something, but I was like, well, <laughs> I, I've, I've got to put in some miles and I've got a kid and what better way? Cause he just sleeps in the back and yeah. I can climb up a mountain and like, it's amazing training and uh, yeah. So yeah, why it's, not? It's, and it's actually safe because I'm off the main roads. Right. It's like strength training, strength training. Totally. So whenever yeah. you, and I read something too, it's like when you, when you finish, we'll, we'll get to your family trips for sure. But you said when you finished the, uh, you came back from Montana and you just take all your stuff and you put it on this, this super lightweight, <laughs> tiny yeah. bike. It must've been crazy to get on that bike. Yeah. And, yeah, what, and I think I almost actually probably, you know, I was joking and saying like, you know, have those like, probably in the eighties or even now probably still have them. Those like weights that you put on your ankles so you walk <laughs> yeah. around with them. Yeah. It was like, literally, you know, you rip those off and you're like, wow, like I feel super light. But I think more than anything, to be honest, actually, it, 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 it's sort of maybe if even if it's a psychological thing, but it's probably definitely a physical thing as well. It's just like being able to kind of like grind through stuff. Like it just, you get like a big hill and you just kind of like, I'm like, yeah, I got to grind this out. And it's just, you're almost a little more indifferent uh, about that. Like you just learn to kind of just settle in and get on with it, you know, because that's really the big part of it. 
the one thing I really like, and you know, going back to the, the Alberta Rockies, like, you know, I went in with the plan and I think one of the biggest things I told myself this time as well is in other events, I, uh, because I like to take pictures and tell stories, I'd often stop to do that, to take pictures. And it kind of eats away at your time mm, and it does. slows you down. Um, especially if you want to like get thoughtful images, not just snapshots, you know, of your bike leaning against a tree, um, you know, which we all do or lying your bike. Because we ride by trail. ourselves all the time. Exactly. Like, what else are we going to do? <laughs> I know. And I secretly would, would, would glob onto some other racer because they became then a really great for me to take pictures. Cause I would, and that became a problem as well. I was like, Oh, like I would, then my plan would get thwarted or changed because I would, I became too emotionally attached to another rider. And I'd almost like, they'd be like, Oh, I need to stop. And I'd be like, I don't really need to stop, but they're uh, stopping. So maybe yeah. I should stop. And it took me a while to overcome that. And again, going into this race, I felt like, because I'd had time riding, taking pictures, being with my family, I got all that out of my system on that. And I felt like I said to myself, I'm just going to ride. So I didn't take, like, I think I took one photo, one token photo. Um, and I also made it my goal to, to really minimize my stopping. Right. Because to be fair, like a lot of riders are going the same pace. It's just who stops the most really. Yeah. It's more about your stop time. Yeah. Yeah. It's like how you manage that. So yeah. So that was the other thing was I, and I was really happy with that. I was, you know, I, I looked back at it and I'm like, yeah, like I, I just kind of kept going and felt, felt great about it. So it was good. When I rode the BC Epic, I had a GoPro. I actually lost it. Not, oh, on, really? not, not on the Epic actually last year's summit. I lost it. Loser. But they're great because you don't have to stop. You just kind of whip it out of your Jersey pocket and they have that infinite de- depth of field. Right. So you can just kind of, you know, kind of point it and, they're totally they're, they're so dumbed down you can just like go snap snap just take pictures or or even take a, a movie because the the frame rate's so high you get these super you get like a thousand high-res images <laughs> right yeah exactly so it's like you can just go in and snip one out and ah oh, man i want my gopro back i gotta get one gopro back. <laughs> i'm so bummed we'll start hitting it. them up on instagram and then you'll get like you know like your no. bike seat you'll get it come on no they're not gonna give <laughs> a 48 year old dad who gets out once yeah. a week a gopro <laughs> You never know. You never no, know. You never know. Not in this yeah. world. Yeah. You never know. Yeah. So happy with your performance. Did you sleep on the AR? Uh, only the first night. Mm-hmm. And again, only because I didn't really want to stop, but then Dion and, and Leonard stopped. And then it just kind of made sense on the first night because I mean, you do move quicker as a group and you push each other. And mm-hmm. I felt like it was, a it was, and they were a positive energy. Like mm-hmm. I, I liked both their, their vibe and yeah, their, they're cool guys. Like, I like them. Yeah, they're great people. So it was like that was one time where I allowed the positive emotional side of it to actually be advantageous because it, it did help. Like uh, I think Leonard wasn't feeling awesome in the morning when we left on the second day. And so it ended up really just being Dion and I alone the entire day. So we basically rode from 6 a.m. almost the entire day till like 10 p.m. together. Um, I mean, I got out ahead for a while, but it was like, but then we kind of would, you know, meet back up again and, and then stick together. And, uh, I think it, it helped us just pick up our pace overall. Um, but I knew that like I would go through the second night for sure. Like I knew that I had to, um, or I wanted to push through the night. Um, and the terrain that we were about to, that I was about to hit was, was conducive to riding at night because you know, the, the gamble sometimes of riding through the night is obviously you're a little bit slower. 
So because of the darkness and just being fatigued. And so someone who gets a four hour, four hour nap suddenly is like over, you know, a 20 hour period is making incremental in, incremental gains on you. Right? right. So it's not always the smart thing to do. So, um, but I, yeah, I, I felt like I knew what I wanted to do. And in my back of my mind, my, I had said, cause it was my son's first birthday at the oh. finish line. Uh, the timing was worked out that if I kept to my schedule, I would get there for his birthday. And that was like a huge motivator for me. It's a huge and carrot. Hey, yeah, it was an amazing carrot. <laughs> and, uh, and funny enough, the other goal was I'd finished so many of these races, like at three or four in the morning. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's like the most anticlimactic totally. depressing <laughs> thing ever. And so I was like, screw this. I want to finish like at lunchtime or like at dinner you know, and roll in and then be able to go have an amazing meal in the yeah. daylight and yeah. not have that, that kind of experience. So, um, I think, so yeah, both those things were, were came true and, and I kind of stuck to that target. And again, I just sort of stuck to my goals and it, and it worked. That's awesome. I think it's good to set some reasonable goals, but also yeah. be prepared that you're not going to reach them and, yeah. and not to beat yourself up about it. Yeah. Like you have to, you have to give yourself markers but you just don't know like i think all of us were kind of thrown off a little bit by the amount of single track for exact mm -hmm. example like that was the like everyone i mean it was really only the three people i talked to during the race and but everyone kind of said the same thing it was like oh wow i just didn't expect that much amount of single track which also meant more trail finding because you'd kind of get off a trail oh, and try yeah. to find the sign and you get you know you lose five minutes here ten minutes there just trying to like route find but it adds up, obviously. And then all of a sudden, you know, you thought, oh, I thought I'd be in Fernie at this time. But now you're in Fernie like three hours later right. and, you know, things aren't open. And all of a sudden now you don't have food for 200 kilometers, right? So right. your strategy just sort of has – you do have to shift and change. And, and you know, I think we went like that whole day over the mountains. We got – the only food supply was that pub at Castle Mountain. And it was – we missed it by 45 minutes. No. So we, yeah, we ended up going like, I think 20 hours or something without any, any place for resupply for food. So, so did you run out of food? I had stuff, but it's, it's more like you just, you, your body just starts to get sick and tired of bars yeah. and you want the emotional stuff. food. You want some good it, totally. food. And <laughs> exactly. And I am, I know for a fact that that's a huge, has a huge positive impact on me. Like if I put some I mean, even like when I say real food, if we're saying like McDonald's, right? Yeah. Like just something hot, warm, like yeah. salty, just, just salty, greasy. yeah, <laughs> just gross stuff. Shove it in the, shove it down, and like it can like make the difference, you know, big time. Yeah, I have a hard time eating on the bike. I don't. I tend not to eat a lot on the bike, but then when I hit a town, I'll plow. Right. Yeah. I, I keep some food just in case, but I just, I just never. I either forget or I don't know. I don't know why. So, yeah. No, it's it's a hard thing to do. Like yeah. to be honest, it's a very it's a really hard thing. I mean, to be fair, it's technically actually hard to do yeah. because you're often on rough terrain yeah. and trying to like. Again, it seems stupid, but in the moment, you're like trying to like, yeah, you know, un tear up a wrapper and put it in your mouth yeah. and do that over and over every hour. Yeah, not crash. Yeah, <laughs> you just get lazy and you stop doing it, and that's the problem, you know. And and then it catches up to you. So. Um, yeah, I find too. It's it's it, it 
it forces you to consume too much, too many liquids because you're eating, eating and eating and yeah. eating. And then it's, you know, you're washing it down with liquids and then suddenly it's like, oh, now I got to stop and filter some more water. Need more water. Yeah. yeah. And I find if I, if I don't eat, then I can just, you know, hydrate and take electrolytes and put a couple of things in my mouth from time to time. But yeah, I don't know. Everyone's different, right? That, and that's the stuff exactly. you learn. And I'll go totally. on another race and it'll be the totally wrong strategy. Right. Yeah. And, and I'll, yeah, I'll end up starving to death in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. But that's, yeah. And that's it. That's the, you know, the experience you, you get and that, and, and understanding what you need and therefore not making your decisions based what the person beside you is doing. Like if they have to stop and feed, so be it, you know, and if you need to stop and feed, so be it, do it. And you realize that everything figures itself over the span of the 700 kilometers riding, right? Like, the whole yo-yoing thing is just, it's realistic. It's everyone's going to stop at their own times and do their own thing. And that's, what's so interesting is that they're not, I mean, it depends. I, I'm not really a pointy end of the stick kind of rider. Really. I'm kind of mid pack kind of front mid pack, mm -hmm. but it's like, they're not intense. Like on the, the BC Epic, I started at the back, the very, yeah. very back with uh, Katrina and Mike and Zion. They were kind of touring it with their, um, with Katrina's mm -hmm. mom and dad. And I just, you know, chatted with them for a bit and then pedaled on and then, you know, pedaled with, you know, my buddy Jeff and, and Penny for a bit. And then Jeff stopped maybe 30 K in and never saw him again. And I just kind of looked back and went, Oh, you dropped something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to keep going. You know, yeah. you just kind of. Exactly. Because if you stop every time and I, I was bummed too, because, you know, Jeff and I don't get to see each other much. I was like, Oh, cool. I get to ride and talk. And it's like, okay, bye. Yeah. <laughs> see, I never saw him again. Totally. <laughs> yeah. It was a bit of a bummer. But, but I find I like that intensity because, you know, uh, if when you do the short track stuff, it's so like, like the last race I did was, well, this one, the, the Cross River Ripper in Nipica, fat bike okay. race in the winter. And man, it's so yeah. friggin' intense because it's only 20K. Yeah. So, you know, and you just hammer. And it, I'm so not that kind of rider anymore. Like I can't yeah. sustain that. Um, but I like the mellow vibe of these bike packing races because it's like, oh, totally. you, you'll roll yeah, you out. Settle in. You're not even really, you know, sweating. You're not really breathing too hard. You know, you just kind of, you know, you warm up slow and then you just kind of find your place in the pack. And yeah, yeah. they're just mellow. I like it. Well, the, I think again, vibe. going back to cliches, like it's true. You are racing yourself in the yeah. trail. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, like you can't what everyone else is doing and how you land, like it does affect you, the other people and you're kind of aware and it might in a, in, in a positive way, you know, it motivates you, it pushes you, you mm. know, probably everyone, no one would ride as fast as they ride. If it wasn't for these kinds of events, they right. would slow down a lot more and have another beer or, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, so before you did the AR, you, so you did the, you did the BC Epic with the family and then you went to Montana and rode with the family as well. Um, so we went and did a section of the BC Epic, uh, about a month or two prior. Okay. And then, um, and then went and did the Montana trip, uh, bikepacking as a family. And we picked that area because it was close to Canmore where this, you know, the, the Alberta Rockies started. Um, and we'd been to Whitefish in that area several times. It was a favorite area of ours. And so given I was doing a race, it was kind of like a, a known entity to some, you know, so it was just a little less it wasn't like we were trying to like completely reinvent the wheel in terms of planning a trip. Yeah. Um, you know, we'd been to the whitefish bike retreat many times and new cricket. And so that was a great place for us to go. And it was just relaxed and, and, uh, yeah, super fun. 
and so yeah that was great we did that loop together and um and sort of so we've now done two decent loops and you know i think we just continue to build on that as long as oliver is enjoying it but like to be honest it's kind of like i don't think he knows this is what he knows so you know what i mean like that's a thing right yeah um, yeah i mean but that could change and fair enough so we're never going to force it upon him um per se but as long as he's enjoying it then and you know i i can't see why that would change because all we need to do is make it fun for him you know which is stop when he needs to stop and i think as he gets older and can maneuver around it gets even easier because he can kind of get up and do stuff too you know yeah like I, right now he's just starting to walk so awesome yeah that's crazy once they start yeah. moving like that total game changer <laughs> yeah seriously i can't even remember that because now i watch my kids run and jump and climb and swing from like <laughs> really high places i'm like damn i know like it's you, you forget, it goes so fast it's crazy and yeah. you know it'll change but it'll, it'll evolve i think that's exactly you know that's a good word kids are a product of their environment and and then eventually he's gonna be like oh how come i don't get to ride a bike i want to ride a bike totally. and then you'll have the follow me tandem or the trailer bike or whatever and i'll be in the back and he'll be pulling me hopefully that's, right. <laughs> that's how that's going to evolve well, at least if he's on a trailer bike or a, tan, or a follow me tandem at least he'll put some power down yeah, exactly. Yeah, are you pedaling back there? What are you doing back totally. there? Totally. I'm going to get him a power meter just so I can see what his output is so I can actually <laughs> call him on it if he says he's doing something. It's so funny. Yeah. I ride with my little girl with a, with a trailer bike and I'll tell her, I go, oh, it's big climb, honey. You got to put the power down and you can feel it actually. It's like, oh, that actually oh, yeah. helped. Yeah, she'll push nice. down. Just very marginal, but you do feel a bit of a, oh, nice. Keep Do that. Do that some more. <laughs> Well, it creates, like I said, less of that anchor feel. Like if they yeah. could at least compensate for their own weight somewhat then you're not dragging that anchor up the hill, you know, because yeah. like gravity is very real when you're oh, going up steep. Yeah. Hills with those guys, man. It's just like no momentum will help you. <laughs> no, just... I went out a couple of times with the kids on, on my single speed and I hooked the trailer up. <laughs> that was a mistake. Was like, Oh my yeah. God, I'm going to break the chain of this thing. It's crazy. Yeah. The amount of, Oh, the amount of weight you're pulling. Yeah. yeah I stripped my, uh, <laughs> I stripped the back. In fact, I had to swap it out before the race at AR. I went to uh, um, the bike shop and they, I had a, a couple of extra um, derailleur hangers and they had to swap it out because I totally stripped it off. Your um, hanger? Yeah. Well, like I'd stripped the thread because I was swapping back from the, All right. from the axle for the chariot back to my my typical axle for the bike right and it wouldn't thread properly and i was like oh man i've totally Great. wrecked it but i at least i had there was the hindsight that i bought a bunch of extra ones thinking that could be a problem yeah um so yeah they just swapped it out and was fine nice. so but yeah yeah it just was but it was a good wake-up call of the kind of torque it's putting on the bike yeah yeah it's a lot how much uh how much ground do you travel can you can, how much ground can you cover with like per him day with oliver yeah yeah, we're kind of like, depending on the terrain, we're kind of carving out, again, it's almost like easier to think of it in context of time. Yeah. We would, we would almost do, like, we'd do three-hour chunks, and then I would try to, like, break the trail up into, like, 50 to 60K kind of sections, you know, for, for like, hey, this could be a good goal for camping tonight, or this could be a good goal for, I mean, because you got to you know, be realistic about resupply and whatever, especially with a kid. Yeah. Um, so, you know, a, I was, the routes that we've chosen to date have been conducive to that, hmm. you know, like the BC Epic is amazing because, <coughs> excuse me, because the, uh, 
it feels like almost every 50, 60 kilometers, there's like a new little town or at least somewhere to stop. It's a great you know? like, yeah. yeah, like a campground. Like, I think anyone who's trying to get into bikepacking, I mm. think that is the route to go do, like, you know, don't necessarily have to go do the race, obviously, because uh, the race is a totally different experience. Um, I mean, you don't have to race it, but like, but doing the route just for fun um, I think is such a smart and rewarding experience because it just offers so much and so much different terrain. I've mentioned that before on the podcast. It's a very accessible track because it's, yeah, yeah, it, like every, yeah, I think the most, maybe 100K you might go yeah. or something. And it's it's that MISA spot up top and it's like, it's like just people around so you can get mm. yourself out of trouble, um, you know, and yeah, like if you have to bail out, like I had friends who did it and they bailed out partway, but there was lots of places they could safely do that. Yeah. So, you know, they, they hoped to do more, but they did what they did. And that's totally cool. You yeah. know, which section, Oh, you were at shoot Lake, right? Yeah. We started because we just thought it would be fun. We started in Oliver, the town of Oliver and finished in the huh. town of Oliver. Nice. My son's name is Oliver. Yeah. yeah. So that was the, we kind of, I mean, it was an area that we were familiar with and loved anyways. And we thought, Oh, it'd be great. We can carve out a day at the end to go to visit some wineries yeah, yeah. and, reward our reward the parents for a job well done and that's right um yeah it was it was an easy choice for us and so that was the section of the bc epic that we did and it, again it was also from what i could recall it felt like because that was actually our first time doing something multi-day with him it felt like it would make sense for mostly i was just concerned about the terrain and pulling a chariot on it you know like the double wheels and the width of the trail mm. Um, you know, the grade is pretty reasonable, you know, that I mean? like that's a hard haul up shoot Lake with a trailer. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's like, you feel it for sure, but it's not like it's 12, 14, 15% grade, right. which we had a little bit of that on the end at Mount Baldy. And like, man, I was doing the classic, like going left to right, oh, yeah. switchbacking, just trying to keep like momentum. Cause I was like, but I was determined to not get off the bike. So I was like. We, uh, yeah, we carved it out and we made it, but yeah, it's, so I think it just, again, right now, just trying to set ourselves up for success. And I've got a friend who actually, Frank, the guy who I trained with to do the Alaska race, he's, he's going back to, um, Nepal and doing, they're doing, he and his wife are doing some trips across Asia on their bikes. Um, so we only have like a couple of months left before they go. So we're going to, I think might actually take my son, he and I, and go out and do a trip down in Oregon or something. Oh, fun. Yeah, like another five day or um, it's a great because I think there's some really like I've been down there a lot to ride and there's some really great sort of gravel routes and double track routes that we could probably do. If he can hold hold his head up, bring the bow bike, put the bow bike on there. It's a great idea. I think it's time to even because he's actually like fairly advanced physically, like he's quite strong and he's like climbing a lot. Like he's the kind of kid I think, you know, we all have you kids grow up differently. You know, I'm sure like some kids are learn certain skills earlier or whatever. And so I think he's the kind of kid that might be, although I think he almost might be a little bit too much, like too fidgety. I could see him like reaching for something and like, or whatever, but you got to try. Right. So maybe that's a good place to do it. Yeah. And I think what I really liked about it was uh, people are like, well, isn't the one in the back safer? It's like, I don't think it's any, any safer, but what it's, Mm. what's awesome about, having them up front is they're right there. Right. And totally. you, can, you can lean down and you can talk to them and look at their face yeah. and, and, you well, know, and they can share in the experience. It's yeah. 
I think it's that's kind of why I want to have it is just even like just to mix it up for them. Like he, you know, he naturally just gets restless sitting in the back. And it's yeah. like, I don't want him to just be, you know, sitting around the whole day. If he can get up and yeah. use his arms and see what we're doing, totally. then, you know, back to the original point, he'll probably enjoy it more and want to do it more. And then you've got this so, great bucket to put a couple bags of McDonald's when he's in the chariot, right? <laughs> exactly. Like that's the thing. You just swap everything out, right? You just load it up. Go to sleep. Yeah. Daddy's got to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, that sounds exciting. That'd be super fun. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, what other projects you have coming up for Bruder? Tell us about, tell us about your company. Um, so I, I had a production company for, I've had it for some time now and it's always been something quite small. It's been, um, more to have something to help facilitate my creative goals. And so, at one point, not long ago, I was sort of found myself scaling up and hiring people and getting bigger. And then I realized, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, this is not conducive to my lifestyle or even my work style. You know, mm-hmm. like I, because I have a pretty diversified, um, I have some diversified habits, both creatively and sort of personally, that I would have pockets of time where, like, you know, I need to not be just trying to make money for the sake of making money to pay bills, you know? So once you start to have a studio and you have staff, I found, Oh God, like now I'm just looking to get work to pay for my growth, not doing stuff that I want to do. So, um, so I very quickly pulled back on all of that and I've gone back more to being tech, like almost just freelance and um, it's way better and way easier for the kinds of things that I'm doing. At the end of the day, I'm still working with all those people, um, we're just subcon, you know, we, there's a kind of a community of subcontracting that goes on where we all have roles to fill. So you just, you find and gravitate to other people who do something different to you. Um, and it's great because everyone kind of has their autonomy, but at the same time, we can all come together and push each other, um, to do cool stuff. And sometimes you need one person because they've got a certain expertise and another time, you know, you might need someone different because, you know, their style is fits a, a new project. So, so basically now, you know, I'm, I'm certainly more focused on, on writing and directing and being more at the creative front of things and driving projects. So I make my living basically doing mostly doing commercial, commercial work. Um, so creating, you know, TV or online commercials, um, that would be my bread and butter. And then I work on narrative and, and projects kind of more on the side because those are harder to make money at. It's kind of like bikepacking. You're ended up, you know, you're, I kind of joke, like I, it's kind of like the Robin Hood effect. I use, like I steal from my commercial work to pay for my creative dramatic projects, you know? So they, it's just kind of the nature of the beast, but I've, you know, I have a feature film that I've been working on for a long time. And, uh, you know, we just keep kind of slowly moving that ball forward. And um, yeah, so it's a sort of, it's nice. I kind of rotate through a lot of different things throughout the year and just kind of have to try to keep a balance, um, you know, with all of those and, and make sure I carve out and be disciplined with, with time. Cause it can be, that can be a tricky thing. Yeah. I think having a, I mean, you know, you have your, having a creative outlet, super important. Yeah. I think. And it's, it's um, felt like that was what the podcast was for me. It was to, yeah. to kick in and do something that's kind of like, you know, I like having, I like talking to people. I just generally like talking and, 
and uh, I, I like the the editing side of things. Like, it, you know, you get in there, you're you know adjusting levels and you're listening a lot and you, you get to mm-hmm. edit and stitch things together and listen yeah. for flow. And it's, I really dig it. It's super fun. And, and then just, it was lacking so much. So busy with the family, you know, I, you know, I play, I play instruments and, I, and, and there was just no time. There's no time to yeah. do that. But now time's opening up. There's a bit more time to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's so awesome that you get to do that. And also across different types of media, like writing and film. And what's the feature film you're working on? Are you allowed to talk about it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's based on a true, st- a true story. It's a sailing film, like oh, a rescue cool. story, essentially. Um, so yeah, I've, I, I read a book about it, loved it. And this was a long time ago, tracked down the guy who was essentially the, the central or for me was the central component of the story. Um, we, you know, became friends and he optioned the rights to me. And I just keep, I've continued to renew the rights to the story while we continue to try to um, piece it together. But it's inherently an expensive project because it takes place on the ocean. Mm. So there's just no easy way to do it. So it's made it, it's sort of prolonged the process for sure. Um, it's just, with that, with our budget come means we just need to have certain actors to be in it. You can't just sort of make it like, you know, a, a bunch of unknowns because they just, you know, there's the whole money thing comes into it and, and how the whole film industry works in terms of putting together a budget. You know, it, it, it relies on certain factors that people will finance. And a big part mm-hmm. of that is the actor. They want to see right. a certain person who gives them this, that sense that it's go- going to have success. So that's pretty much where we're at. We're just basically waiting for someone to to resonate with the role and say yes. But it's it's a challenging role, and uh, you know, so which I think would be enticing to someone, but it'll be enticing to the right person. And I think a lot of people might look at it and go, "Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm that's for me." You know, would be a very physical, so, physical role, right? Yeah, physical, but it's also emotional and psychological, and just like it'd be a commitment. It's not like you can just kind of slip in and uh. you're wearing a tuxedo and, and, you know, you're in a dry house or studio, um, you know, it would be different locations and, and you're going to be wet grueling, a lot, wet, wet, <laughs> exactly. So it's not always an easy thing to convince people of, you know, no, which then it, it goes into the money, th- money side of it. Right. Well, how much are you paying? Oh, I won't be wet yeah. like that for that. kind. Yeah, of yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> totally. Oh, that's so, so funny. Yeah, so that you know, again, it's it's just that is a piece of the the puzzle, and it just fits in and has its place in 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 my schedule. And yeah, I just keep chipping away at it. And in the meantime, you just keep busy with other things, and you you know you can't. You know, I learned early on in that process that you can't sit there and just. It may never happen, you know. Like the reality is, is there's a lot of films that took ten years to make, and um some never get made. So you just, yeah, you want to stay, you don't want to like get distracted and and do other things or, or, or like not give it the attention it deserves. But at the same time to be realistic, you know, you have to diversify. You can't put all your eggs in that one basket. So um, yeah, so it's, it's good. It's kind of like my, it's almost like comparable to my first ITI, you know, it's that, I, I dove into the biggest possible project when maybe I could have done something smaller, but <laughs> yeah. 
sometimes the projects pick you, you know? So like, it was one of those ones where I couldn't help it. And anyone who reads it loves it and understands why we're doing it. So it's not that the project's wrong. It's just, um, yeah, I've come to appreciate that it's, it's tricky. It's tricky to put a, a movie together and because there's, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of other people vying for the same, same time and money and resources, you know, that you are. So it's, it's, I think it truly is just timing. And so again, like a bike packing race, you just kind of put your head down, keep slogging away. And hopefully one day I'll wake up and I'll be on set and we'll be filming it. And, and another day I'll, you know, we'll be seeing it on the big screen. And my biggest, the thing I look forward to the most is that day that, the the person who the film's about has been very loyal to me and to the project and he's an amazing guy and I love him and uh and I kinda wanna do right by him and so I can't I kinda look forward to that day where I can look him in the eye, we can click beers yeah. and say, Hey, we did it. You know, all that time and perseverance paid off. So um I'm hoping that <laughs> that day comes and comes sooner rather than later. Do you do you actually have a time budget for these features that you shoot? Not not a budget, sorry, that's the wrong thing. Well, like I want to get this done in five years, or I want to get it done in three years. I or... I, I thought I did, but it keeps it's it's shifted. Like I I think I started like I think the infancy of it, like it was born maybe eight years ago. So wow. if you put in that, yeah, like but you know with that, like there were massive gaps of time where it, like nothing was happening, right? And you kind of like things kind of it's kind of a house of cards that you know it collapses and then you rebuild it, but then you rebuild it better. You know, and so we're at a really legitimate place right now where we have all the right pieces to the puzzle. We just need that final piece to come into place. So all of the time that's been spent, you know, rewriting the script, um, you know, learning from our mistakes, learning from people's feedback, understanding the story better each time we kind of came at it. You know, it, it's again, it's like it's it's what we talked about earlier. It's It's just experience. You just can't. Like now I look at the story and I go, oh my God, like, why didn't we see this before? Like, you know. So time well, time actually is uh, good. Uh, having the time is totally. actually good in the case of creating yeah. something like that. It must be yeah, difficult because like the context of must change over time, right? Like yeah. th things are in context like eight years ago. Like when you write, you might make references or, or maybe it's within a certain time period. I'm not sure. It's but. from a time period. So that helps a little bit, but, but no, but to your point, like even the, actually the, the funny thing is the simplest example of how things change are the actors who were going after. There were people who were number one or two or three on my list who at the time were, were <laughs> not as big as they are now. All of a right. sudden they're playing James Bond. Mm, and right. so you're not getting those people. Like, so now they've gone, they're so big, you're not getting them anymore. Um, Were you going to get Daniel Craig? Were you going to get Daniel Craig? He was number one on my list. For right sure. on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's I mean, a he just, yeah, he just, he was the right guy. Kind of, we need a British guy too. So that's uh, kind of right. why, um, or we don't need, but ideally it would be a British uh, actor because it's a British character. But um, so we're starting in that realm first, but, um, yeah, I think that, um, I think that the, it's, it's also at the same token though, there are actors who had, weren't even on our radar who were probably right. 20 years old or 15 years old that are now suddenly on our radar. Yeah. And they've come into their own as an actor and, and, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And cause basically certain, there's a dollar value sadly placed upon actors. And so the industry kind of sets these arbitrary numbers, sometimes not arbitrary. 
and you kind of need a certain caliber of person who's going to trigger quote unquote, a certain value when you make your film. And so we have to find people who are in that realm. Do you find, um, trying to, trying to connect these two worlds together, do you find the the skills of patience and how to endure helps you in, in what you're doing with your creative, uh, hundred percent. Oh, they both, all of it comes together. Like I think all of what I've learned doing my work, I think is what allowed me to do the bikepacking thing and vice versa. Like they definitely like all the endeavors just come together. And that's where I was saying before, there's this kind of weird blurred line between doing those things, especially, especially now because, you know, I've written two or three articles for bikepacking and for other magazines and, you know, the photography has been in other magazines. And so it's kind of like, like my work and I'm making a feature film that's about, uh, an adventure race, essentially, you know, it just happens to be on the ocean. Right. So like, there's no, it's no mistake that that's the kind of story that I gravi- gravitated to and tried to, to do. And in fact, I'm writing another story, which is, is essentially like a dramatic, um, story that takes place in like a remote rugged environment, because that's what I, you know, what fascinates me, you know, in the same way I like to cycle in those, those environments, then, you know, I like to, the idea of telling stories are within them as well. What part of Vancouver do you live in? Uh, we just moved to deep cove. So oh, we're actually nice. now in, yeah, North Van. So it's great. Deep cove is nice. It's beautiful. I mean, right on the, like, like basically, you know, steps away from, all kinds of terrain to get outside and, and either just enjoy or to train on. So it makes it definitely, um, it makes it easier. And, you know, you you realize like to train for some of these things too, it's like where you live becomes a big part of that, you know, that's gnarly terrain out there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it can be, you know, that's the thing is you can make it as gnarly as you want, or you can make it like as easy as you want. So it's kind of the benefit of, you know, being, having nature on the doorstep of a city of this size, it's like, like, you know, it's pretty, and having mountains. So like I can get on the ocean, but I can also get up a mountain, like within 10 minutes, I can be riding up, you know, uh, a, you know, 15 kilometer mountain. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's really conducive to, you know, to, the training and preparing for stuff like this. And, and again, just for having a good time and just being outside and doing different sports, because that's the other, the other part of it is, you know, like even now, like planning my routine for like the next four or five months, it's like, you know, it's like, you don't want to just be on your bike every day. Like it's just trying to like go snowshoeing and throw my kid on the back and climb up mountain snowshoeing, go kayaking. It's all great cross training, but it's also just, like fun to do something different because you just get, you know, you don't want to get sick of biking either. Yeah. It's good for your body to mix it up too. (laughs) Absolutely. Cause that I think huge, it's so easy to overtrain or just to put too much stress on, you know, certain muscle groups. So it's also just, yeah, like, you know, I'm 44. So I'm obviously conscious. Like, I think this is what's great about these events is I think like age and gender and all those things are, are way less relevant because you know, it's, <clears throat> there's other advantages you can, you can lean on aside from just like youthful enthusiasm and, yeah. you know, I Wis- feel wisdom and patience. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and in many ways I actually feel, I feel fitter now than I was when I was younger, but 
but just different fitter. Like when I was 20, I would run around, I'd run sprinting like for, you know, three, four hours straight playing a sport. But like, I feel like now I can go long and slow and, and in a way that I probably wouldn't have or couldn't when I was younger, you know? I don't think it's, I don't think it's any coincidence that, um, cause I, I feel the same way. I feel like when kind of when from a male, yeah, the, from a male perspective, when you reach your forties, it just, your fitness changes a little bit. And I don't know if, if it's because of, um, yeah, it just, we can endure more. I, I don't mm-hmm. know what it is. It's really strange. But if you look at all these long distance races, a lot of the guys who are, and girls who are, who are winning them, um, they're, they're older, you know, yeah. they're, they're older. They're very experienced. Um, like Lael this year was just crazy. Like yeah, just, just amazing. And I think, uh, you know, she went out with, with, uh, with a goal to say, you know what, I'm just going to win this. Like, I'm just going to go and do this and win it. Yeah. She almost did, man. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's uh, the, you know, the transcontinental in Europe was won by a woman. And I think it just, it's, these events are, like the circumstances are kind of a leveling factor, like, because there's so many variables, it's not about like someone grinding out massive power and speed, like for, you know what I mean? It's, it's like, it's, it's the whole package. It's like it's the whole package yeah, and that could come in many forms, yeah. you know, like even just like, I love how like you show up at the start line and classic, everyone's looking at each other's bikes and bags <laughs> and packing. And there's this like nervous, of like oh crap i've brought too much or oh crap yeah. i didn't bring enough or you know because again like then the weather changes and then who deals with cold better who deals with warm better like who's whatever like there's so many variables that come into play that you know it's it's exciting because you just you just don't know you don't know what's going to happen and that that's amazing yeah, no, look it's not. Yeah, look at Megan Dunn on the AR five hundred, right? Yeah. Like, just amazing. she didn't yeah. sleep. I think she took a ten out, ten minute nap or something like that. Yeah, and like that skill, for example, like it's I think it's a skill to be able to nap. Like yeah. I'm terrible still. Like that's actually something I've never been able to to resolve is I'm well, and to your point of the the, the Highland five fifty yeah. quote that you've used, like I've still not figured out like my issue with sleep. I'm just like I got home. Like it's not like I'm a terrible sleeper. I got home. I sleep fairly normally and stuff. But like, I just I don't know if it's because I can't shut my brain down. Like I'm not good at that. My I let my brain run. Yeah. That I just like my wife has that skill. She can just sit anywhere and just fall asleep and be. She could just be. Yeah. And yeah. it's like yeah. it's a it's for this kind of these kinds of events and experiences. It's actually an incredible gift because like I'll see people to pull over and almost within a second. <laughs> they're they're Crashed sleeping out. right yeah and where i'll stop and i'll be lying there and i'll spend two hours just trying to get to sleep for, yeah. for two hours and then i've wasted four hours so that's where like i'm still trying to like to be honest trying to figure that one out even and when I you're think, crazy tired right i'm the same yeah. way man i can't sleep out in the bush i just lay there and i roll around and i feel yeah. like, like i'm comfortable i'm warm i'm not cold but yeah i just can't just, shut it off Exactly. It's it's, like, like there's no explanation. If there was a, if there was a, you know, a faucet, we would, we would turn it off, yeah. but, it, but there isn't, there's, or I haven't figured it out yet. So yeah. I think, but like, again, you get to know like the moments, you know, like for me, it's logically like, I always know when you hit that 5am when you're going through the night, like, and it happened to me this time, 
Like I literally, it's like someone just comes and punches you in the face. And just like, you know, you're just, you kind of like start to meander mm-hmm. and your body gets kind of pissed off with you. And, yeah. and, you know, sleep deprivation is a weird thing. Like, and, um, that's kind of like, you know, if, I, if it was a longer event, I probably, you know, what I did with ITI was I tried to like push till three or four in the morning and then sleep from three or four, um, you know, because like, it's just that much easier to, to sleep when you're that tired. You yeah. Know? Like push it off. Yeah. Exhausted kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Like, so you kind of, kind of can't help but shut down. Um, so yeah, just, it's just one of those things, but it just goes back to what we were saying, like that there's weird set of skills that, that yeah. I think make you able to excel and, and you, you know, they're not necessarily transferable from one race to the next. You may have a wonderful experience one time and then you go back out and you're like, Whoa, like what happened to that thing? I was used to be good at like all of a sudden, it's, you know, you're so trying to find that consistency is also a tricky thing too. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was going to say about that. I can't remember. But I think it's about habits. Like you just start to get, and again, that goes back to experience. I think you start to learn what you need. Like, you know, you said like some people need hot food. Yeah. And it's like stopping for half an hour to eat a really good meal. Sure, people keep going and are maybe going faster, but then like, man, you just all of a sudden you're going five percent, ten percent faster because you right. took that time. Like if you know that that's how you function, right? Then that's what you should do, you know. And and you um, don't know until you go out and experiment. You need to really self experiment yeah. to see what you're and experiment of. a few times because, yeah. like, you know, sometimes it might have just been that particular, you know that week who knows but you know it's 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 tough to find those tricks of the trade yeah i've been really lucky with the rides i've done that i haven't really been challenged too greatly by the weather mm. like i haven't really been um just completely obliterated by rain or you know crazy crazy weather i maybe i'm just adverse to it i just because I fat bike all winter and I'm riding, I'm, mm-hmm. I ride constantly and I'm always in like minus 30. I can go ride in minus 30. That's fine. Head out for three yeah. or four hours and do that. And you kind of get used to, you get adverse to it. And it's like, I, my saying is always, there's not really any, there's no bad weather. There's just bad gear. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, I can pretty or much bad get attitude. through it. Or bad attitude. Yeah, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, that's just it. I think like you, you kind of, it is funny because sometimes, you know, someone will, complain or, or whatever. And we all do it. Like you all, when you're tired, yeah. you moan about something, but you know, the trail or the race director or whomever, whoever makes the route, they don't owe you anything. No. They created a route and you chose it. So it's like, you know, get on with it. But like, of course you, you moan about it when you're in the moment cause you're tired or something. But like, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, there shouldn't be too many surprises, you know? And that's, again, goes back to just, you know, be prepared. And then it's like, you can deal with it. And, uh, and the best thing you can do is keep moving. Cause you, yeah. you know, that's how you stay warm. That's how you deal with being wet. You just keep moving. Yeah. That's better than stopping. I often yeah. thought, you know, again, I haven't really been, been super deluged with rain, but I often thought that, you know, if it was a time to sleep and it was just pouring rain, I would just probably sit under a tree for maybe a half an hour to rest, like not even bother setting up any, just keep going. Like, yeah. why would I bother trying to set up a shelter or something in the pouring rain? It's going to take me forever, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where the, the experience part really pays, I think dividends is again, you go in with a plan, but then 
reading the circumstances and knowing that like this, yeah, okay, it seems like a great idea to stop here, but like stay ahead of the weather. Like that's something that happens a lot with the ITI because the race is so dictated by weather Mm. that like the trail could be hard packed and clear, but there's a snowstorm coming and everyone knows it. And it's like, you want to get through that as fast as you can, because tomorrow there might not be a trail and you're pushing your bike. And all of a sudden, you know, I had on the Yukon, the first year I did it, the Yukon river, we had punchy snow and headwind the whole time. And it Mm -hmm. took me like three, four, maybe even five days to do that whole section, which isn't that long uh, of a section. I don't know. I forget how long it was, but I remember the first day when I left on the Yukon river and the second time I did it, it was like hard as like, it was like riding on pavement Amazing. and I was like going 30 kilometers an hour <laughs> awesome. on my bike, you know, fully loaded, just ripping and no wind passing mushers like dog sleds. Oh wow. Like, really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Like usually they're, we're either keeping pace or they're just a little bit faster than us. Yeah. Um, so there's always an awkward kind of moment when they come along and you're trying to like, cause we usually just move over and let them go. Cause it's sort of kind of honor system. Mm. Um, but yeah, those interactions are amazing, but yeah, like it was just like, they were getting out of our way and it was just like, I was ripping and I was done it in a day and a half. So you just like, Crazy. you just have no idea. Yeah. Like it's just so different. So again, a snowstorm comes in the next day. And all of a sudden that section becomes three days, you know? So um, everyone's having a completely different experience and just judging that is so critical. That's a, we're going back to the ITI again. It, I like it. It's, it's interesting. There's so uh, such a diverse uh, demographic of people that are running that race. Yeah. Is there any, um, is there tension between the different groups? You mean the two different events? Not even like- from the event standpoint, but you know, you've got, you've got, um, I'm trying to tread lightly on what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, a dog sled oh, demographic. Sorry. Just, just they're different yeah. types of people, right? And then got you know, you've got you know the, these people who are running, you know, pulling toboggans. You got people riding. Is there any tension because you know it is an old race, correct? Like, yeah. b- bikes weren't always in it. It was always a, a dog sled race, if I'm to understand. Yeah, I right. mean the bike thing has been going on for a lot longer than people realize, but not necessarily to this scale right if if, if scales the right word because it's still pretty niche you yeah. know um but from my experience and maybe some of my secondhand experience maybe from others that have heard like my experience was amazing the mushers like were amazing like guy one guy got kind of caught up with we were kind of coming into towns and leaving around the same time and there was one t- i left late at night and again he's a little they're a little quicker so he'd left later and i it was like four in the morning and i just see the light spotlight like hovering in the night coming towards me and i turn stop and turn back and look at it and all i see is this big mitt come up in the air for a high five (laughs) gives me a high five and then only in that moment realized it was that same guy but then yeah like a lot of the i remember the first year i did it there was a famous musher and and we kind of kept we're crossing the sea ice and we kept kind of like awkwardly trying to like we're on the same speed and mm-hmm. i finally just stopped at one moment and said like do you want us to just get out of the way and let you go for a while because are we like annoying the dogs mm. he's like no way man he says let's ride this together and oh, so like nice. we tucked in behind him and we were just kind of yeah and it was it was great and i think 
sometimes there was some like maybe a little bit of tension in like the checkpoints because you kind of roll into like a remote place where there's actually absolutely nothing. And the only reason there's something is because the Iditarod's going on. Right. And so they, they might have a tent that's dedicated to the Iditarod racers and not to us. Uh, sorry. Yeah. To the Iditarod sled dog race. And oh, so, interesting. Yeah. So like there'd be situations and you're kind of like staring at it, like drooling, wanting yeah. to just get inside this canvas tent that might have like a wood burning stove or, you know, and inevitably there's some, there's some stories where people were, did some stupid stuff like in terms of just being ill-prepared or, you know, not showing the right amount of respect. And and then it kind of creates a bad vibe. But to be honest, for the most part, I've, it was really positive. Like, and I remember one time, because again, I, I think on my second time, I was pretty safely in second place. And I don't, I, I was kind of like, I didn't think I was going to get caught behind me because I felt comfortable where I was. And I, didn't really think I was going to catch the person in front of me. And so I was kind of sitting in a good spot. And I remember sitting in a small village and it was like a, a mushers camp thing. And I, I kind of, the one thing I hadn't done and wanted to tick the box was sleep where oh. the mushers sleep. Oh yeah. So I kind of like, I kind of like was kind of annoying and just kind of hung out hoping they would invite me. <laughs> so I just kind of <laughs> sat there and uh, cause it was like, I think it was like midnight or whatever. And it was a huge stretch like to go before and there was nothing in the next stretch. So I thought, well, man, I'll go in the morning, like four or five in the morning. So I could kind of watch the sunrise and at least had something to look forward to. And yeah, eventually they're like, I don't know if I had the courage to finally ask or whatever, but they were like, yeah, no problem. And they, and so it was just kind of, I, cause I personally loved the whole vibe of when the sled dogs caught up to us and we were around that whole energy was unbelievable. Like, again, it's just another reason why that race is just so hard to mimic anywhere else. Like it's just to be a part of such a big event, watch the mushers with their dogs, the way they treat the dogs. Like, you know, talk about us. It's like being tired when we come into somewhere. Yeah. You watch them come in, they haven't slept for two days and man, they've got a lot of work to do. Right. Yeah. And they spend hours massaging their, their dog's feet. Like I know there's a lot of controversy around like, you know, the, the, that race and whether it's like, you know, unfair to the dogs. Yeah, exactly. I think they love it. Oh my God. When you're out there with those dogs, they are like, I mean, you, of course you don't really, really, really know, but like, man, they just, they just want to run Yeah, and that's what they're doing. And it's like, designed to do, I think. Yeah. And obviously like people make mistakes and there's, there's bad apples and, and, you know, bad perspectives and things, you know, but like, there's certainly, they're doing everything they can to kind of, you know, every time they come in, there's vets at every single place. They tell people like they pull dogs if they think they're at all unhealthy. And, and, um, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough one. I think, again, it's like anything, if you've, once you experience it firsthand, it changes your perspective on it. And I think, having experienced it firsthand, it definitely, um, changed mine. And yeah, I, I had a a really positive experience and the people there, um, you know, incredibly friendly and amazing. And, you know, this is tough because you go through some towns, like there's some towns that are wet, sometimes that are towns that are dry and some that are damp. And that all is obviously referring to liquor and, (laughs) you know, you get like the towns that are, that are wet and there's some, you know, some tough stuff, like you're hearing when you go through, it's pretty visceral and it's there. And 
but again, that's part of traveling, right? And that's kind of what you feel like you're doing. You're experiencing, you know, you're going through other people's homes and other people's lives. And so you're mm. kind of getting a firsthand exposure to some stuff, you know, and it's, uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it really is like, you feel like you're living a story when you do that race, like, and you know, nothing against the shorter distances, but I think especially the 1000, because it's just like, as soon as you leave the, as soon as the second distance is over and the crowd calls down and the amount of racers call down and the, the speed uh, sort of drops, yeah. it's like, it, it really changes and you kind of carve out your own little spot. And like, I know I would go, I went days and days and days and days alone and it was amazing. Yeah. Like it was just really like special and hard to replace. And again, you get the itch, you know, to go back for sure after it's been, once you've forgotten the, the, the suffering of it, you. Yeah. To carry on, it must feel so remote. Like yeah. so remote. I think it's just, again, it's the cold. Like even if you're used to the cold, it's just like the second you go out, you go out and even not even that, like you're in your bivy and you're like, you're just trying to manage everything. Cause you're like, you get in your bivy, it's minus 40. You got to like take your boots off, but you got to do it inside your bivy. And then you yes. got to put them in a bag so that they, your sweat doesn't freeze. So they don't turn into hard blocks. And then you've got to like stick your water down your pants to keep it warm. So it doesn't freeze. And then you got to like, you got to manage your private parts because you've been sitting in a saddle. So you got to actually get air on it, which isn't comfortable in minus 40. And then you're, <laughs> you know, it's like the littlest things, you know, like going to the bathroom, you know, it's, it's just, everything becomes really uniquely challenging. So, um, yeah, it's, it's definitely a, a unique experience. I'd love to try one. I'd love to try to do a winter ultra. I'd well, you should. I mean, amazing. I think where you live, you at least you know you you're you're halfway there because you're experienced with winter. And again, I think it's just you know just go for it, like and go and do try one of the shorter distances. And yeah, that's a logistical financial. Yeah, I mean, easier said than done. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the logistics sure. must be just. Have you done? Ass. Have you done Jay's Jay's race the in no. Idaho? No, that one's a good. That's yeah. a good tester because it's long enough that you get the full meal deal. Like you go through the night, you know, like you can get the full experience, yeah. but in a tight little bow. Um, I really enjoyed that one as well. That was really fun. Yeah. I think um, uh, Eric Ross did that. I think he went down there and did that. He's from Cranbrook. Cool. I think he went down there to do that. But yeah, I mean, once, once time frees up a bit more and, yeah, and uh, you know, I'm trying to be patient. I know I'm not that old of a guy, but you know, I was walking with my dad the other day. He's 73. I'm like, man, if I can, we just did a 10K little hike in the in the area here. And I'm like, man, if I can walk 10K when I'm 73, I'm I'm winning. Like, Yeah, for sure. Like, hopefully. And then, you know, I'm going to be talking to Brian Canelli. He's a, he's an older rider. Mm -hmm. You might have met him on the AR. And uh, yeah, he's a beast. He and Guy, they just, yeah, they're crazy. Like, they're so inspirational to see that. So when, when I think that it's like, oh, you know, I don't have much time left. I got tons of time left. <laughs> to do this stuff it, exactly and it yeah. all comes back to like what you know why are you doing it like there's there's a handful of people who are winning these things you know wow. on a regular basis i'm not gonna win it i don't care yeah and that's the thing i think it's, it's like about. yeah like i think at the end of the day it's it's trying to find like you know a perspective of how you want to spend your time and i've i've had a couple events where 
in low moments, I was sort of like, you know, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I out here like slogging at 3 a.m. in the morning, passing these awesome campsites on the side of the river when I could be with my friends biking and we could be stopping here and having a beer and, you know, hanging out and stuff. And, you know, so you kind of go through that and then the sun comes up or whatever and you're, you're fine again. And you again, I just think it's balanced. Like, it's and innate, I, think, I think it's innately human for us to, to do that. Exactly. Especially when you're just, when you're hurting, you know, when you're hurting, you're like, why am I hurt? Like your body's saying, wait a minute, why are you doing this? I don't even mean from that perspective. I mean, just the general perspective. It's like we, we, um, we want to challenge ourselves. Yes. And then that's the other side of it because, and that's what I think I mean too, where it's like, but then when it's done, I'm kind of like, well, but that's why you enjoy those moments when you're just sitting on the side, not like, and again, I think the word that keeps coming up and I've been definitely thinking about a lot is the balance. And it's like, so when I go ride with my wife and child and pull him, I'm physically fit enough that I can do it and actually enjoy it. Cause I'm not thinking of it as a slog. I'm like, Hey, I'm liking this. This is great. Yeah, you know? and, and, and it's satisfying. You know, it's, you've, you've been satisfied in this other realm of, of athletics totally. and you can go and do this with your family and not feel like, Oh man, I wish I was just hammering right now. You just, you know, it's good. Just been there, done that. I can do this right now. And then it's balance, right? Totally. Balance and we, it. yeah, you're right. We need, we all crave challenges of different scale and you know and it's all relative like for some people just crossing that finish line is a reward and so it should be you know for someone else it's like they're trying to gun for to break a record and that's what's important to them because that's where they're at right like to them they've already crossed the line 10 times so for them they need something new you know to keep them excited yeah um so yeah yeah i talked to this sports psychologist uh, last week, I'm hoping to have him on in a couple weeks, get that one out. But he, he, um, his work is involved in self-determination theory. So mm-hmm. it's basically all humans have this innate, um, um, motivation or desire to, to one, be autonomous to, mm-hmm. to have mastery and over something that we're doing. And then three is to be connected. So like, for instance, you know, you and I, we both, bike pack and that gives us this connectedness right yeah but bike packing is a solo thing which gives us that autonomy right mm-hmm. we ride our own race we do our own thing and then um and and then yeah all these things are just innate and that's why that's what i mean about you know it's like why am i doing this it's like well because your biology wants you to do it you're yeah you're trying to and and the, the, the way bike packing is so unique is that there are so many skills it's like you need to know how to ride a bike. You need to know how to fix the bike. You need to know how, know how to camp. Yeah. Harvest water, you know, prepare food, food or not food, yeah. not eat yeah. or whatever. Like, and, and, and by, by gaining more experience in these races, you're, you're gaining mastery, which is innately satisfying. Right. Yeah. Um, awesome conversation, man. You gotta listen to that one. It's pretty dense. Like it's like, yeah, he's a PhD guy and I'm just some dummy doing a podcast no i mean (laughs) but it just it really resonated like all the things he's saying is just like wow this is crazy and it kind of it it kind of you know puts everything in its place it's like oh that's why that's why i want to go out here and suffer it's because i need to satisfy these innate needs that yeah it's so interesting intrinsic needs i should say yeah yeah and i think there's like i think that touches on something else which is there is such a great community of people like connectedness yeah. And that's to your point. Like, it's funny. You may just spend an hour with 
somebody like, or in my case, like, you know, I spent a day riding beside Dion or yeah. another race. I was out with someone for four or five days and I felt like I'd spent a lifetime with that person yeah. because we went through a really tough thing in both of our lives. And, that, and, that, and to your point, one day I just, or one minute you turn and I just go, he stops and I go, I got to keep moving. <laughs> yeah, I got to keep moving because I'm cold and you don't see them again. Yeah. And except until you're on Facebook, like, you yeah. know, a month later or something. And, and that's but, okay. Exactly. And it's like, totally okay. Right. No exactly. one, would, no one would judge you for, for doing that. Especially totally. the person that like, usually it's the, it's uh, the other person saying, no, go, you need to go. Just keep going. Go. Yeah. They want you to go because yeah. like, that was the other thing is that sometimes someone who's pushing your pace isn't actually a good thing. Cause you're starting, you start to make mistakes. You start mm. to push too hard. Yeah. And you're sometimes like, you know, and that was the other thing I think I've experienced is I've come to appreciate the alone time. Um, and, and equally like, you know, I've been able to appreciate riding through the night. I remember yeah. that was a hard actually for me at the beginning, because again, my brain went shut down and I realized that when I'm riding in the night, there's nothing to satisfy my brain because I'm not, there's, not, there's nothing for me to see. You're in the little green tunnel. You're just in this yeah. tunnel of light. And it's kind of like, <laughs> it's not, it's not that you're afraid, but there's this weird kind of like awkwardness to it. It just didn't feel right. And all of a sudden an hour felt like 10 hours, you know what I mean? So it's like, so you're dealing with that. Plus you're just tired and it, you know, I've come to, you know, appreciate it a lot more. And as JP said, you know, had said once too, it's sort of like, that's also so like, that's when the critters come out on the trail and it's true. Like, Yeah. yeah, there's a whole other like side of the world that, also we don't experience in our normal life. Like you go out and it's like all of a sudden the silence and then, or the creatures that live on the trail, you know, like, um, and the eyeballs that stare back at you when you shine your light into the woods and you're just like, what is that? Yeah. It's like, I've said this a couple of times too, but it's like to an experience everyone has to have is one, which you've done ride through the night, right? Like keep riding. Yeah. But also you leave your lights off Mm. as long as you possibly can. And you just kind of let the night, just the darkness just consume you. Like it just, yeah. it's such a weird, you, you just kind of keep, if it's safe to do so, obviously. For sure. Yeah. There's certain yeah. trails that are good I, for that. The other night I was out on a training ride and I was pretty far from town and I just stopped and I just stopped and I turned my light off and you just kind of hold your breath and it's like, I can't hear anything. Like nothing. Yeah. There's not a cricket. There's not a frog. There's yeah. not a snap in the woods. There's just nothing going on. And, and, mm. and you feel almost like it's almost cozy yeah because the night's just kind of giving you this big hug right and then you turn the light on again it's like poosh and you just kind of see everything it's jarring uh, it's a bit jarring but it's uh it's really cool man and then well it reminds you too of everything you need is just right there around you yeah you don't have anything yeah it's a cool feeling yeah and not to bring it always back to the to alaska but like it's tenfold when you're there too because you're like a, there absolutely is no sound. There's no smell because yeah. there's nothing to smell because yeah. it's just a frozen world. So it's like, there's no scent. It could be on another and planet. Then, yeah. And then you're like, and then you get the Northern lights oh, yeah. binging, binging down on you and, um, and the snow is reflective. So if you get a good moon, you, you know, plus like, to be honest, wiping out in Alaska is like, you fall into a, a deep snow bank, which is annoying, but it's like, it's not like falling <laughs> off, you know, like. It's pretty safe. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I always laugh because you're riding along the trail and you look 
along the side of the trail and you always see these imprints of bodies yeah. like the perfect out, outline of a bike and a yeah. person who obviously fallen asleep and just <laughs> toppled over that's funny the snow. yeah it's totally safe yeah that's awesome so what do you have planned yeah. coming up then for uh, other races do you have any do you so, do any winter riding yeah yeah uh i i'm trying to i tried to get to the arrowhead uh one uh, 30, but, um, that's a first come first serve uh, thing and they limit the amount of people. And so, um, I didn't get into that. So I just found that out. Um, so I'm looking at a couple of other, um, races that are, that I've never tried before that I might just go do for the sake of it. Some of them are across Canada. There's one in Winnipeg, one in Ontario. I might just go do them just to just do something for fun and experience like a new, um, you know, a new little set of terrain. Um, so I'll probably do those. If not, maybe even just plan like a little fun fat bike trip in the snow. Cause I'd, I'd like to do it. It's for sure. It's always enjoyable. And, and to be fair, we've collected all this amazing gear. Yeah. It feels like ridiculous to not put it to use, totally. you know, and my come wife out here, did, come out here and ride at Nipica. Yeah. And we'll go ride the there. Thing. It's so awesome. I'm, we'll come out for sure because we that's an area we've gone to and go to because uh, my wife's from Winnipeg. So we oh, actually nice. drove out one winter for Christmas and we stopped in Canmore and we stopped in Calgary and we went and drove, or rode all over. And um, she she did the second time I did the the 1000, she did the 130 mile ITI. Oh, cool. So that was super amazing was yeah. that training because my I did it again with the same friend and his wife was was doing it as well so it really changed it for us because now we had like everyone was training for this event so it kind of made it bigger for us and it was kind of cool to see them going through the experiences that we had gone through you know learning things and trying not to like tell them things so that they could learn yeah. on their own terms you don't know, want to mansplain loved- no mansplain yeah exactly right? nobody loves that so um <laughs> We we tried to be very cautious about how we doled out information or uh, our knowledge, but uh, yeah, like so that was cool, and I think so it's great because she has she has all the fat biking gear and bike and setup. So like, yeah, I think you know the fact that we can do that and go and do rides and just turn it into you know a little adventure would be great. And then yeah, I'm gonna try and I like I've been really enjoying the gravel the gravel stuff, so I'm gonna try and get into a couple like maybe get into Dirty Kanza. Oh yeah. Um, do a couple of like weekend gravel races just to, to keep me honest and yeah. kind of test the legs. Um, but yeah, like I think at this point, if I've got about five months leading up to, um, the Atlas mountain race, mm. that's kind of a perfect amount of time to sort of comfortably build up towards that. Um, especially cause we're going to Vietnam for three weeks at Christmas. So, um, that will be time that I'm not riding. So we'll have to. You know, again, it's it's that's the, the part, right? It's just trying to fit all this in with your regular life. That's a lot to fit in, man. I don't know how you find the time to do all that stuff. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's like you said, you're blessed. Yeah. You're blessed with your your line of work, right? So you. you yeah, know, it it helps. Fantastic. It can be tricky at times because when I'm full on, I'm full on, and I can't do anything. But right. like that being said, it's like there's a level of of freedom and flexibility that I have that like. I think that fits my personality. I think my, my wife is super, I love how she can get up really early and be super disciplined because that's part of her regime. Like she's just better with a, f- a fixed schedule. Yeah. Teacher. Where, man. Yeah, she exactly. Keeps, she probably keeps you in check. 
It's like, nope. Totally. Check the I, calendar. We've yeah. planned it all out. <laughs> I'm a little more all over the map when it comes like, you know, you have to get disciplined at a certain point. Otherwise, you just won't get it done. So I'm not saying I'm not disciplined, but like. Oh, no. But you, I'm, I, re, I know what I'm like. And I know that, like, for example, I need to go do a weird fun challenge just to kind of, you know, keep it interesting and, and enticing, you know, like rather than just riding the same route all the time, it's like come up with a, an adventure with some friends and a new challenge just to kind of like, you know, yeah, just keep it interesting. Just take risks and challenge yourself yeah. and push your limits. And yeah. Yeah. So totally. um, where can people find all your awesome stuff, your writing and your, what's the best website? Well, I think, I think if you follow through Instagram, that my Instagram handle, generally I'll post stuff from there. So it's a good conduit to get to everything else. So like, you know, like I said, I've, I've written three articles now for bikepacking, all of which are very different. One was my race, my second race in Alaska. Um, I'm really proud of the pictures and the writing on that one. Um, I have the Iceland trip that we did as a group. So that was more just a personal trip, but again, I'm really happy with, with that and the imagery. I mean, you can't go wrong imagery wise there. Um, and then I just had the bike packing one about our first experience riding with Oliver, which I think is a totally different perspective as yeah, well. Yeah, totally. Um, which just got launched on bikepacking.com. And then, um, I probably have about three other ones that are coming out that they're going to launch. Um, actually probably nice. another family bike packing one with this, with the AR race, uh, I've sort of combined the story because it kind of felt like to me, it was the whole package. Yeah. Thanks for um, sending me that. Actually, it was a really nice piece. Great. Well, I'm great. glad you enjoyed that. Yeah, was the still, one you, know, you were talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So I'm great. still sort of, you know, it's always good to kind of lay it down your thoughts and then walk away and then come back and, and tweak. But, um, uh, there's that. And then I think they're going to, they actually, I think they're going to put up the, um, the, the, the Scotland one from the Highland 550 that I did a few years ago. Um, cause I never, I never actually really, I posted it only on my site, but I never really put it up anywhere else. Cause I didn't have a relationship with bikepacking at that time. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of a, a universally, I mean, it, you, you know, you related to it and I think a lot of people relate to it because it wasn't like, you know, I try to take an angle of like, not just talking about, you know, I turned left, I turned right. I put, put you know, air in my tires. Like that's not the story mm -hmm. I want to tell. It was sort of the kind of commiseration of, of having a rough experience. And that, that race was definitely kicked my ass. And it was a, it was a good wake up call. Cause it was, yeah, again, it's just one of those things where anything can go wrong, but at the end of the day, like, you know, I wanted to experience the Scottish Highlands because that was romantically a place I wanted to go. And man, what better way? Like it was, when I look back, it was what an amazing race. That's an a, incredible route for anyone who's looking for something. It's challenging for sure, but um, amazing, amazing route. Well, I find your, your writing is, uh, I don't know what the words are, visceral, um, palpable. The, 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 the scenes that you paint with your words are uh, fantastic. I like. I've got goosebumps reading a couple of your pieces. Oh, that's uh, great! Uh, I, I, well, dude, thank I, you. I'm, I aspire, like I said before, I aspire to be a better writer and and finding the time to to hone that. That's a craft, man, to be able to to uh, string words together like you do. And I guess yeah, it's like I guess it's like anything, right? I think it's just putting. Yeah, you have to find the time. You have to a want to do it, enjoy it, hmm. then find the time to do it. And in this case, I think find the 
the muse to write about. And that's what's great about these events. They're yeah. actually quite good for, they create good fodder because there's all, you, you inherently have all these mishaps, yeah. right? You have all this glory and mishap all boiled down into this wonderful soup, you know, in a very short period of time. And usually in a pretty cool place, physically, like dramatically, you know, in a unique location. So it's kind of like all the makings of, you know, built in for a great story. So, yeah, it's like if you need a story to tell, just take a bikepacking trip. Yeah, exactly. That's, <laughs> that's what it's, that's kind of what it's about. So, um, yeah, so it's, I enjoy that part of it. And now I, I'm wrestling, I have to wrestle with the balance of, you know, when I go into an event, am I racing it or am I, or no. am I documenting it? Balance. You know, yeah. And I think that's where Alberta, <laughs> but Alberta proved to me like I did not. I said, I am not taking pictures and I'm going to be efficient time-wise. And, yeah. you know, from a racing perspective, it obviously paid off. So I it's, just e- it's just easier too, really. Yeah. Like you don't no, have it, to really think about, okay, well, there's, I got to stop, take a picture of that. And I know, but it's tough when we got over that first hill, the sun was like, it snowed. Oh. There was snow on that first mountain yeah. and it was like, yeah. And it was, I was just dying, not stopping to take pictures because it was so beautiful. But we're, it was like, if I stopped, it would just, you just starts to like, you're just spending all that time trying to catch back up and it just puts a stress. Like it's one thing if you're enjoying it and that's what you want to do and you're, you don't care. But admittedly, I was like, I wanted to be up at the front and I wanted to, to push myself and I wanted to go, I, I had a goal and I knew that if I was going to meet that goal, I was going to have to go hard. Yeah, and sacrifice imagery. Exactly. And so yeah. it was fine. What's What's funny too is I, I I have to I have to always tell myself to just pick my head up and look around. I often I often will just kind of like I'll have mm. me listen to a book or something, and I'll just be kind of grinding away and and kind of in that quote unquote you know you're in your flow state. Yeah. But uh, I need to look up, and then I was like, man, I really want to take a picture of that. But you are really, you, yeah. you, you actually get, and I think that's the problem with, um, with all these devices now, it's, you're always whipping it out to take a picture rather than just, just absorb be, it, just be and look at it and, yeah. and then just let it burn in. And the pictures never, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of cases against that, but pictures never do it justice. I can never get, I mean, you know, with an iPhone, what do you, you know, when you line it up, yeah. it's like, ah, it's you have okay. to put some effort into it. Yeah. And it never really does it justice where if you just took the time to let it burn in, you've just created a memory right so on the really long races you can actually spin it into an advantage i found that in alaska because the taking pictures and and knowing that i was probably going to write a story right i actually was able to i actually made me pay attention to all the little nuances you know even like that raven that was following me along the trail like it just you know, there was a, uh, there was a raven that followed me all day and just kept going. And the there, same there was way. Nothing, yeah. And it was nothing out there. So it just kind of kept falling. It would squawk and it just kind of felt like, Hey, this guy's following me and he's hanging with me. And it was something so small and simple, but it's symbolic. Like my son's middle name is Raven and our family, my mom's maiden name is Raven. It was just this kind of, so I wove it into a story, but the point was, it was cool. that I was paying attention to it because I knew that I was, probably looking to tell a story or I was looking for the story in what I was doing in the same way I was looking for, you know, for photo ops. And so that 
sometimes it can be a distraction, but then sometimes it can actually make you pay attention. And so for the longer events where, to be honest, stopping for a minute here and there, like in Alaska to stop for a minute when you're doing the 1,000 miles be a pain. Is, is not a problem. Like Oh, I see. Yeah, I thought like, it'd be a pain just because it's so cold and you can't. It is. Like it's, it, that's a suffer. And it took, like, it would take hours sometimes to get like feeling back in my hands. Mm-hmm. But like the, but I think you're not, there's not that same sense of speed urgency because no one's sprinting. Right. It's, it's, it's truly about efficiency and managing your body and managing the trail and your bike and your gear and whoever's around you. So like, you know, that's why like the whole idea of like records of speed is irrelevant because it's all relative to the the, the weather you're facing. Yeah. Someone could have rode the, the most incredible ride of, of, of all existence, but we're doing it through the worst possible conditions. You know, so how long it takes you is irrelevant. It's all relative to like your own experience and the people you're around, you know, in the same way, like I stopped one night on purpose to appreciate where I was because I knew I probably wasn't going to catch the guy coming first and I knew or felt comfortable that I wasn't going to get caught from behind, you know, barring any kind of major malfunction. Right. So I was like, okay, I can relish in this. In the same way in the AR 700, I actually stopped and like had a sandwich, like 60 K out from the finish line because I was like, okay, I, I think I, f- I feel like I've got a bit of a buffer here, you know? So like yeah. I can stop for a second and, and just enjoy this and not like, you know, bypass my first food stop in you know, 20 hours and just you know little celebrations i think that's the thing too you need to celebrate these little, totally little things that you overcome when you're when you're out there for so long and yeah celebrate with a sandwich why not yeah hey man like a, a bad <laughs> egg salad sandwich from, uh, <laughs> from a, a camp store a gas station oh. never tasted so good it's like oh my god yeah oh man rj it was it was a pleasure to talk to you you as well super fun great. Yeah, awesome. and uh, I hope we connect sometime in the future. I'm um, for sure. I yeah. mean, we're practically neighbors. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll have this... to hit you up for an extras role or something. Yes, Drowning sure, Man man in your new movie. I know. Sadly, the there's man. not a lot in the ocean. <laughs> I, I told people it's flotsam or jetsam. That's about it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's not a lot of other people hanging around. Oh, yeah. that's so funny. All yeah. right, well, RJ, thanks so much. And uh, we'll be in touch, okay? Sounds great. All right, have a good night. Awesome. See ya. Ciao. I want to thank RJ again for taking the time to talk to us here at Bikepack Canada. And I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in. So make sure you subscribe, head on over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you're listening to these podcasts and uh, rate and review us. Give us a five-star rating. That'll get us up in the ranking and uh, hopefully expose us to more people and uh, more clicks. I really want people to hear all these voices that are on this podcast because uh, I think there's a lot of inspiration to be had here. So yeah, head on over there, give us a five-star rating, uh, give us a review, and let us know what you think. And don't forget, send me your voice intros, emails, and guest suggestions to bikepackcanadapodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, get out there, ride bikes, sleep in the woods, and keep the rubber side down. <laughs> <laughs>